Welcome back to the listener's commentary on 1 Corinthians. We've been working through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and we are in chapter 9. This recording will look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. And we need to make sure we keep the context in mind, as always. And so the, the overarching topic of chapters 8, 9, and 10 in 1 Corinthians is eating food offered to idols, especially eating in the temple precincts. We talked about that in our recording on chapter 8. And just to make sure we keep the flow of thought in mind, let's recall what chapter 8 and the first part of chapter 9 is about. Chapter 8 essentially argued that just because you might know the truth about idols and the truth about the one true God doesn't give them the right to eat whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, in complete disregard to the impact of that on their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul says there in chapter 8 is that love is actually superior to knowledge, and love is concerned about the, the well-being of the other person rather than serving myself. So what, he, what Paul says is you need to watch out for using your freedom and your rights in such a way that you do so at the expense of others. Then we start chapter 9, and what Paul does in chapter 9 is he's using his own approach to ministry as a concrete example of giving up your rights and your freedoms for the sake of the gospel and for the good of others. So in the last recording, chapter 9, 1 through 18, in that section, Paul explained how he had the right and the freedom to expect material provision from them, from the Corinthians, for his ministry among them. He, he even stated it as a principle that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. But Paul says he chose not to use that right, and he did so actually for the sake of the gospel. Well, that discussion that he began there in chapter 9, 1 through 18, continues here in 9, 19 through 27. And what Paul's going to do now that we'll look at in this recording is Paul's going to show how being driven by the gospel affects the way he relates to and interacts with various kinds of people, various groups of people. And what Paul says in a nutshell is that depending on the group of people that he's around, he adjusts. Because he's driven by what's best for the gospel and the good of others, he adjusts his behaviors and his practices with the hope that he might gain some of them for the sake of the gospel. And that's what he wants the Corinthians to learn from his example. And that's what he wants us to learn from his example as well. So, at the end of chapter 9, verse 18, Paul said that he had chosen to offer the gospel free of charge, without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. That's what he says in 9.18. He continues here in 9.19 by saying, For though I am free from all people, I've made myself a slave to all so that I might gain more. This is the relational principle that motivated Paul not to make full use of his right of financial support from the Corinthians. He voluntarily, he says, makes himself a slave to others. His driving question is, what's best for them? How can I serve them? What do they need? What will help them hear the gospel well and come to faith in Jesus? And he does this with the aim, he says here in verse 19, that more people might be gained or won for the sake of the gospel. And typically, when we read 
1 Corinthians 9.19, I think the first thing we, we think of, and oftentimes the way it's preached, is that we might gain people outside of the church, conversion and evangelism and all of that, that we might win people uh, to Jesus who are unbelievers. And that's certainly true. That's part of what Paul means here, is that in a evangelistic context where he's working with Jews, you can see this even in Acts, he, he speaks the gospel in a way Jews can hear it from the Old Testament law. But when he's in an evangelistic context where, for example, he's speaking to Gentiles, he doesn't quote the Old the Old Testament scriptures. Why not? Well, because they don't understand those and respect them as an authority. So he adjusts his specific behaviors to win people outside of the church. But I don't think here in 1 Corinthians 9.19 that that's all he means. He also means, when he says that he might gain people or win people, he means people in the church who are going astray or would go astray if he didn't consider them and where they're at. Why do I think that? Well, we'll see very shortly what he says about uh, adjusting to the, the weak, and that just forces us to keep the context in mind. Remember chapter 8, where Paul accused some of the people in the Corinthian church of uh, potentially destroying their brother or sister's faith by eating food offered to idols in a temple precinct. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. And so gaining them would mean you're gaining people who are believers, but their faith may, is about to be destroyed because you are going to just use your freedom in a reckless sort of way. So Paul's point here in 919 is that in relationship to outsiders and to insiders, Paul limits his freedom to help gain people for the sake of Christ. And even though the specific ways he's been talking about that is giving up his right of financial support when he first preached the gospel there in Corinth, this principle of adjusting your behavior is broader than financial support. So it causes Paul to consider, well, what's best for others in lots of ways as he carries out his ministry. And so he adjusts his practices, he adjusts his actions based on what's best for others and what's good for the gospel. And that's what he means by, I make myself the slave of all. And so he says, even though I'm free from everybody, I have voluntarily made myself the slave of all people so that I might gain more people. And then in the next several verses here in chapter 9, what Paul does is he amplifies this. And so he says in verse 20, here's one way I adjust. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might gain Jews. In other words, in a Jewish context, when working with both Jewish unbelievers and even uh, new Jewish converts, P Paul doesn't mind uh, acting like a Jew. He'll eat their food, he'll follow their customs so as to gain the Jews. Now, in, uh, in relationship to Jews and Gentiles, the real issue is not just that some is some are Jews and some are Gentiles. The real issue has to do with the place of the law, the old covenant law, as the boundary of God's people and the evidence of salvation and blessing. That's the real issue is the law. And that causes real challenges for how to act when among different groups of people. Because the Jewish law had certain foods you could eat and certain um you know, practices you needed to perform, and the Gentiles didn't have that. And so the, the real issue is the law. So after saying that to the Jews, I become like a Jew, what Paul does then is to focus on really the law itself and how that forces him to adjust his behavior. So he says, to those who are under the law, 
I became as one under the law. Just think about what Paul said. Remember, Paul's background, a Jew, not just a Jew, a Pharisee, a Pharisee who was studying under Gamaliel. All of this is Paul's background, meaning he saw himself deeply under the law before meeting Jesus. And now he can speak as, that's, that's a position I take in relationships in order to benefit others and for the good of the gospel. So to those who are under the law, I become as one under the law, even though not being under the law myself. Again, think how far Paul has come uh, since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, so that, here's the reason for adjusting, so that I might gain those who are under the law. So what Paul is saying is that in a Jewish context, Paul is willing to practice the Jewish customs with the hope that it'll help people either come to know Jesus for the first time or remain faithful to Jesus as Messiah if they've already believed in him. What's an example of that? Well, perhaps an example of that might be what happens in Acts chapter 21, 15 and following, where Paul, at the end of his third journey, arrives in Jerusalem. He meets with the leadership in the Jewish church there in Jerusalem, and there is some concerns about his presence there and what people have been uh, told about Paul and how Paul views the law. And so Paul, in Acts 21, 15 and following, voluntarily takes a Nazarite vow in Jerusalem. And that's an example of taking on a Jewish custom or practice for the good of others and the good of the gospel. Then Paul goes on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21, and says, to those who are without the law. So to those under the law, I, I'm willing to uh, practice Jewish customs. But to those who are without the law, I become as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. So just like in the first uh, expression of this, where he said, to those under the law, I become as one under the law, though I'm not under the law myself. Here he says, and yet, even though I'm, uh, I can act like one without the law, I still really yeah, do have the law of God in the sense of the law of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the instruction of Jesus. And so it's not like Paul is lawless, but when he's with those who don't have the law, guess what? He doesn't feel the need to practice Jewish customs. And his goal for that is so that I might gain those who are without the law. Again, what might be an example of this? Well, I think of, for example, Galatians chapter 2, where Paul describes his ministry in Antioch and how he was gladly eating with Gentiles in Antioch because it's a Gentile context. And so he's, he's happily doing that. Not only that, Peter was doing that until some super conservative Jewish Christians from Jerusalem showed up and pressured Peter into ceasing to eat with Gentiles. And all of a sudden that led to conflict in the church. And, and Paul describes what happens there in Galatians chapter two. And so Paul's like, no, like in that context, the best thing we can do for the sake of the gospel and for the good of others is to all eat together as Jews and Gentiles because we're in a, in a context where that makes sense. Then what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 9 is he ends uh, this description of how he adjusts his behavior with another group. Not just any group, the very kind of group of people that are being potentially hurt in the church at Corinth. And so he says in verse 22, To the weak I became weak so that I might gain the weak. 
Now, hopefully you hear the connection with the immediate situation that Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Specifically, how people who are weak, meaning people who can't eat idol meat, are being harmed by those who are uh, just going their own way and serving themselves. And so chapter 8, Paul describes this. For example, eight chapter or chapter 8, verse 7, he says, However, not all people have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Or 8, verse 9, Take care that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 10, For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple... Will his conscience, if he is weak, not be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So a handful of times in chapter 8, Paul has used this word weak to describe what's going on in the situation in Corinth. And so Paul says about himself and his ministry that he limits his freedom to become like the weak so that he might gain the weak. And the implication is very clearly to the Corinthians is that he wants them to do the same thing. He wants them to limit their freedom for the sake of the weak in the church. And it's really this this sentence in verse 22, to the weak I became weak so that I might gain the weak. It's this sentence that makes it clear that the word gain or win does not refer exclusively to evangelism and conversion. It includes gaining and winning those in the church who might be led astray by the Corinthians' misguided use of their freedom. And so, to the Jews, become like the Jews. To those under the law, I become like those under the law. To those without the law, I become like those without the law. To the weak, I become like the weak. And then he says, I have become all things to all people so that I, by all means, may save some. Jews, Gentiles, those under the law, those without the law, the weak, whoever, rather than flaunting his freedom and demanding his rights, what Paul says is he adjusts. He adjusts his practices and his behaviors and his customs in ways that he deemed helpful to that particular group of people and in a way that he thought was in keeping with the truth of the gospel. And that's true whether it's for people outside the church, or whether it was true for people inside the church, Paul is willing to limit his freedom and adjust his behavior in very specific ways for the good of others. And all of that is driven by his commitment to the Gospels. And so in verse 23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the Gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. The Gospel literally means good news, but most simply and precisely, the gospel is the news that Jesus is King and Lord, risen from the dead. That's the gospel that you see the apostles preaching in the book of Acts. And the implications of that truth for Paul and the apostles is huge. For Paul, it causes him to adjust his behavior to help people be drawn to Christ or remain faithful to Christ. In fact, the gospel shapes everything that Paul does with his life. And he says he, he, it shapes everything and drives everything so that he might partake of the gospel. What does that mean, partake of the gospel? Well, the word partake means to share in or to participate in. So it's not merely that I partake it like consume it, but that I share in it. I participate in this grand, liberating, world-changing news that Jesus is the King, Messiah, Lord of all. And that includes in participating in the blessings and benefits and results of it. It also includes participating in announcing it and other ways of being involved in service to King Jesus. 
that the gospel announces. In fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul actually describes the Philippian church's financial support of his ministry as participating in the gospel, the same word that's used here. And so Paul says, I, I just, I, I make my whole life about the gospel because I want to participate in the gospel. That's what drives Paul to adjust his behavior in really key and important ways. That's what he's calling the Corinthians to imitate by his example. Then Paul concludes this section uh, with a final illustration and appeal. He says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize, right? Like there's only one winner. There's an, in the ancient world, they didn't have participation trophies. You either won or you didn't. And so those who run in a race, all the runners run, but only one wins the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games and Corinth was famous for the Isthmian Games that were uh, practiced every other year. They rivaled the Olympics in prestige and importance. And so they were a big deal to the Corinthian audience. And so Paul's just playing off things they're familiar with. Everyone who competes in the games that they knew about exercises self-control in all things, right? They discipline themselves, the, what they eat, the way they train, right? Their sleep patterns. Everyone who ex competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath. Uh, perishable wreath refers to the victor's crown, a, a laurel wreath literally made out of leaves that was not just like perishable, you know, over a long period of time, like Leaves kind of get dry and die pretty quickly. So they're competing to get this, this victor's crown made out of leaves, and it's going to it's going to perish like within weeks. It's going to be all dried out. But we 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 do it, he says, to gain an imperishable wreath. So here's another example. This is Paul's using this illustration as another example of where people give up things and practice self-control for the sake of a goal. Athletes competing in a race, athletes competing in a wrestling competition, athletes competing in whatever other games they, they may compete in, athletes competing in games, they practice self-control. They discipline themselves and what they eat, what they drink, how they sleep, uh, how they train, all of that. They give up things for the sake of a goal. And he says the goal is simply a perishable wreath. It's perishable. But we're looking forward to an imperishable uh, reward, an imperishable crown. And then in verses 26 and 27, Paul gives the point of the illustration. He says, therefore, again, thinking of his ministry, therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air, but I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This describes how Paul thinks about his self-emptying ministry. When he lowers himself for the sake of others, when he adjusts his behavior to gain others, when he does all of that, it's not without aim. It's not purposeless. It's not unintentional. It's deliberate. It's focused. It has a reason. And so Paul says that he strictly disciplines his body. 
Older translation said, I buffet or I beat my body. The idea is I bring my body under my control, not so that I serve myself and not so that I capitulate to the whims and the, the desires of my body. No, I, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, for the good of others, so that after I've preached to others, I will not be disqualified. This is how Paul ends this example of his ministry in this context. And it's really a final appeal to the Corinthians by way of thinking about Paul's example. And Paul's going to apply all this specifically to the Corinthians in chapter 10. But the implication is clear. You, because you're looking forward to an eternal victor's crown, you need to discipline yourself. You need to limit your freedoms. Rather than demanding your rights or imbibing all your, uh, your free desires that you think you have to eat whatever meat you, you want to eat, wherever you want to eat it, or whatever else it might be, what if you were actually driven by the gospel so that you could participate in the gospel like Paul and you thought of what's best for others and for the sake of the gospel? Paul says, he does whatever it takes. He disciplines his body and brings it under strict control so that he can be a participant in the very gospel that he preaches. May it be so for you and I as well, in whatever way we need to do that. May we be driven by both the gospel and by how that gospel is best communicated and expressed and lived out for the sake of others. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this session of the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching project made possible by the generous support of all sorts of people just like you. So thanks a ton for your support. If you want to join the team of supporters, the best way to do that is to go to listenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com, click the Give button, and you can then put in a, a donation amount. There's a little checkbox that says, Make this a monthly donation. And you can make a recurring monthly donation, or if you want to do a one-time gift, you can do it right there as well. And all those donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit. So thanks a ton for your support. God bless you for it.